Beloved, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through, f- 1 through 5, as we behold God's living word today. If you're a guest or if you don't have your Bible, there's a Bible provided in your seat back, and uh, we encourage you to grab it and to follow along. That's page 983 uh, to expedite your time getting there. But uh, as you turn there, I, you know, have a question. What do you think healthy Christ-centered ministry looks like? Uh, a room this size with this many people with so many different backgrounds, we're going to probably have a, a variety of answers to that. Uh, is it based on the size of a church or how many programs it offers or how small a church is and how good the pastoral care is? What do you think a Christ-centered, healthy church looks like? A healthy ministry looks like. I think Paul is going to help us today find some healthy markers and aspects of Christ-centered ministry. As a reminder, last week, Paul talked about how it was the mystery of God he proclaimed. It was Christ he proclaimed, warning everyone and teaching everyone. And he wanted everyone to be brought to maturity in him. And he agonized and he struggled for this to occur. And it wasn't just him working. He also referenced Christ in verse 29, who dwells within him. He's the one who's energizing him to do this work. Well, in this week's passage, Paul moves his pastoral focus from the general to the specific. From the everyone to specifically his ministry to the Colossians and the Laodiceans and those who were in the Lycus Valley, as the church was planted by Epaphras. He is sharing with them his desires for them, and I think it's going to be helpful for us to think and to be renewed of what a healthy Christ-centered ministry looks like. And I think Paul's going to help us with some ideas and some objectives for us to remember, to be reminded of, and then perhaps even to be renewed through. Paul is a pastor, and I never want us to forget that. And his care for the church is overt. It's very obvious, and it's to be a help to us. There are three points. Surprise, surprise, this is a Baptist church. But I also want us to be reminded that the points that we pull are from the scriptures. We want to always make sure that the points are coming from the text. Our job for you each week is to to help show you the logic of the text, We're not just making these things up. And so I'm going to do my best effort today to make sure that we understand why these points are the points that we have chosen. But there's three points that evidence a healthy Christ-centered church. That first aspect that we're going to look at in terms of a Christ-centered ministry is laboring with Christ-centered care. We're actually going to dip back into last week's text, verse 29, and we're going to move uh, through the first part of verse 2, as we look at that text, laboring with Christ-centered care. What does pastoral faithfulness look like? What is Paul doing, and why is he laboring? And what does that labor look like? He is encouraging the church to be knit together in love. And we're going to touch on that first aspect of love today, and uh, we'll get more into it as we get into chapter 3 here in a few weeks. But we'll touch it today. The second aspect of Christ-centered ministry that we'll cover today is simply this, 
reaching the riches of Christ-centered truth. This is how you can gauge the health of a church. Is a church laboring to know the knowledge and wisdom of God that is found only in Jesus? And then the third and final, and it will be by far the shortest point for today, is this, standing firm in Christ-centered faith. We're going to find this in verses 4 and 5. So not only are we holding to Christ, not only are we knitted together in love, but this is going to actually help us as things try to come in and disunite us. And false teachers attack at times. And so we're going to see what it looks like to be grounded and united in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So let me read the text for us today, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may dilute you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So that first point, laboring with Christ-centered care, we're going to dip back into verse 29 for just a second. Remember when Paul said last week, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Notice with me Paul's posture here. He says he has a great struggle for the church. That little four at the beginning of verse one in chapter two is a gar clause. It serves as like a hinge connecting two things together. Paul not only struggles and agonizes for the whole church and everybody who's not in the church to be presented mature in Christ, but now specifically he wants you, you see that little pronoun you, you Colossians and those at Laodicea, he wants them to know how great a struggle he has for them. So it is turned very personal. He uses that same word struggling in verse 29 and he says, Colossians, I struggle for you in particular that you would know God. Now this is an agonizing, laborious work that he is participating in. That word toil up in verse 29 means in its kind of conception, kind of being beaten over and again, hoping that a new work takes place. This is how Paul is describing his ministry and specifically his ministry to the church. And what does this reveal about Paul? Well, it reveals a great concern and a very strong desire for the church to be made mature, to be made, uh, to be cared for and to make sure that they don't drift from false teaching. It's like a fireman going into a house trying to rescue a family. That's the kind of struggle and labor that he's putting forward or a, a mother who's tending to a child who's sick in the night, getting up over and over again to serve them. This is the work that he's putting forward. Now, the struggle itself is not specifically identified. Uh, We know that he's in prison because of chapter 4, verse 3. But he doesn't say that prison is a struggle. 
Remember the goal up in verse 28, that he is laboring for everyone to be presented mature. This is what he's doing. And that's why he's proclaiming Christ, warning and teaching everyone. And this is his work as the pastor or as a overseer of the church. Now that is some serious care. Remember his words to the Philippians, written about the same time as this letter to the Colossians. He's writing from prison. And Paul's like, I would rather be dead and with Christ. But for your sake, I will stay alive if it's for the good of your faith. This is the posture of the apostle. I don't know what your understanding of pastoral ministry is, getting it to the kind of the the real world ground level questions for us today. I don't know what your thoughts are uh, from how you grew up or what the pastors are that you've had before. But the pastoral ministry, the oversight ministry is a ministry in which is bent on working hard for everyone to be presented mature in the faith, or at least it ought to be. It's not fun in games, although life and aspects of ministry can be fun. But this is the toil, this is the struggle. He is laboring with care. Paul is straining for mat- with maturity in mind, and that means he constantly has eternity on the horizon. He's thinking about constantly what it's going to be like to present these Colossians mature in the faith before King Jesus. And that creates both an energy or a, an urgency in Paul and also an urgency within the people. Make sure that we're holding on to these things. Make sure that we're understanding these things. The great Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane said, I, a dying man preaching to dying men, that's why I pray that every single week, constantly have eternity in mind. The old churches, if you've ever gone to like the East Coast or, or to somewhere in England and you've seen the churches and they have the cemeteries right next to them, uh, that is intentional. Preachers would be looking out through the glass windows, constantly thinking about death as they're preaching life to the people before them. This is the work of a pastor. This is the work of anyone who handles the word of God with maturity in mind. I'm not suggesting that we have this all figured out here. We are being made mature as overseers, but I want you to know that the desire is to present you mature in the faith, laboring for your care, because one day every single one of us will stand before a living God. And we want to proclaim him and warn and teach with all wisdom. That is the work. I do want us, just a gentle reminder, that maturity is not necessarily associated with longevity, but maturity is those who look like Christ more and more. Now, we want to make sure that our souls, our minds, our hearts are being shaped into his image. And so we want to present the whole body mature from the saint who has been a member the very longest hour to the 20-something saints that will become members of our church on July 10th. This is the work before us. Now, what is Paul afraid of? I think that's a text that should be asked if we consider why he's fighting for their maturity. Well, at a very simple look, I think disunity comes to mind. 
with false teaching attacking the church, the cause for real disunity is a real threat amongst the people. Now, the purpose of this struggle is further identified in verse 2, if you look down with me in your scriptures. He says that their hearts would be encouraged, knit together in love. That's Paul's purpose. I'm laboring for you, striving and toiling for you that your heart would be encouraged. That's the first thing he wants us to see. Now, the heart, just a reminder, the biblical heart is the center of the self, the center of the spiritual person, the place in which one's intellect, intellect rests, the, one, the, the place where the emotions habitate. This is where the relation of, relationship with God is. And he wants them to be encouraged. Another, your translation might say comforted. He wants them to, to know with certainty what these things are that they believe. Not comfort like in a flimsy way, but strengthened amidst, amidst the attacks. So how are the Colossians encouraged? Well, we see right after, there's a little phrase that modifies the act of comforting or encouraging, and that's being knit together in love. Verse two, knit simply means this. It means to be forged into one, held together, completely united, like a quilt blanket, different patches, but one blanket doing one responsibility. He is working and laboring for this, which is so true, right? Uh, as the world is on fire outside of us, is there not great comfort that we receive when we come together in our small groups and in our worship service and we're just together, reminded of the truth, greeting one another with love and encouragement? There is something that Paul is getting at that I think that we can identify with here the benefit of being one body together. He gets into uh, this a little bit later on in Colossians chapter three when he says that the traditional barriers of the Greeks and the Jews, all the differences that come from those two people groups, there's no more reason to be united or disu uh, disunified for Christ has um, unified them and he's done a great work in them, and we are to be the very same. Uh, friends, we have amongst us so many different worldviews and perspectives and longevity in the faith and backgrounds. Not everyone's from the United States in this room. Not everyone's from Texas, which is a, its own country. We have so many things that disunify. But he's saying, no, be knit together in love. This is what I want for you. Jesus says in Mark 3, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So if Paul is saying, knit together in love, and this is going to bring encouragement to your heart, then we have to say that there's probably aspects of the Colossians that are not yet knit together in love. If we were to ask ourselves, church, are there areas within for serving this local body in which we are not yet knit together in love? Well, the aim, the aim of the overseer and the responsibility of the body is that we would be knit together so. Now, I want this to seep into your heart because this is why he's struggling for them. This is why he's trying to encourage them. This is why he's telling them to be knit together. Now, why is this important? 
maybe a good question to ask is, how am I about the same business that Paul is hoping for the Colossians? In what ways am I helping the church be knit together? What ways have I in the past and what ways am I right now? Perhaps it's a healthy question to ask, what ways am I not? This is how we get to be that quilt, that beautiful picture of what God has for his church. And there's a reason for this. And there's a way that this actually happens. How does unity occur? Well, look at that little phrase, in love, which points to how the church is unified. Love is the bond of perfect unity and harmony. Paul actually says this in Colossians 3.14, so we're gonna get into it on a later date. But just as an appetizer for us today, food for thought as we consider the text, do you remember when Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, and if you've had coffee or lunch or a meeting with me over the last few weeks, you've heard me say this passage of scripture. This has been one of my prayers specifically for First Irving since late, April, uh, since late February. But it's this, Jesus, John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the context of John 13 is amazing. He has just washed the disciples' feet. He's hours away from going to the cross and he's saying, as I have loved you. Jesus laid down his life for his friends and that's how the disciples were knit together. And that is how the church is knit together and it's most profoundly seen at the cross of Christ. D.A. Carson remarked that the cross is the supreme moment of divine disclosure, meaning this is who God is at the finest point is Christ on the cross dying for mankind to be saved. It's the greatest moment of glory. Brothers and sisters, being knit together in love is that continued reminder that we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for one another, laying down ourselves over and over again. And we'll get into perhaps some more ways that we can think about that in chapter three. But one way I want us to consider that today is the fact that Paul didn't even know these brothers and sisters face to face. He, he's loving them and he's laying down his life for them without ever having met them. I hope the difference of places where we meet in our church building or the age demographics that we have or where we sit in the sanctuary does not cause us or keep us from not being knit together in love. If this is Paul's hope for the Colossians, then it ought to be every single pastor's hope for the church that they oversee. And that is the work. Well, what about those that we don't agree with? And guys, I'm sure there's disagreements amongst us. If we could just speak to that for a second. There's gonna be things that we disagree on. But Paul's not saying uh, only if you can agree on everything. He's seeing being knit together in love that you may be encouraged. And that is what his hope is. Well, my brothers and sisters have offended me or we disagree on this topic or this is 
harder than it sounds. It is hard sometimes to get along with people that aren't like us in every way, but that's the beautiful work that the Spirit does within us. And that's why, as Jesus says in John 13, the world looks at us and goes, now that's odd. They love one another. And they don't always agree. And that is the most powerful testimony that the church can provide. Our friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we've never met, but he's a friend in Christ, wrote a wonderful little book called Life Together about 100 years ago. And he actually can help us out in how we think about those that we don't always agree with. He says, I must leave my brother his freedom to belong to Christ, to be Christ's. But don't miss this. I must meet him only as the person he is in Christ's eyes. I'm going to repeat that. I must meet him only as the person he is in Christ's eyes. Are we not so gracious to one and are we not so gracious to ourselves? Do we not extend ourselves all sorts of grace? But we fail to do so to those who are not like us. Brothers and sisters, I believe when we do that, we will be knit together in love. It's my hope for the church, guys. This, Blair, what's your vision for the church? Well, first, I hope we're a church that loves one another. That is a biblical church so that the world would know that we are his disciples. Our growth in love and unity is my concern and I would say this, without growth in love and unity, maturity is impossible. That final aim is maturity from verse 28 last week. Then love and unity must occur. Now, the second point that Paul has for us is helpful in our growing in love. Paul points to the further purpose. See with me at the second part of verse 2. He says, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the second aspect of Christ-centered ministry. It's reaching the riches of Christ-centered truth. Notice with me at the second part of this little section, that little preposition to. You could say in order to. So he wants them to knit together in love so that they can reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. There's a reason he wants them to knit together in love. So that they wouldn't be kept from the truth that is in Christ Jesus alone. So as we are knit together in love, we have a greater and greater understanding of who Christ is. Paul's desire for the Colossians is to reach full assurance. Do you see that word there? Assurance. Or perhaps your translation says conviction. He wants them to understand who Christ is and all that Christ has done. And he wants them to know that God's redemptive plan includes them. So they are wrapped up in it. And he wants them to have assurance in it. Understanding of who God is and of the knowledge of God and his mystery, which is Christ. This is Paul's, this is Paul's aim. And this passage kind of unfolds even more when we look at verse 3 when it says, In whom 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see that little phrase, in whom? Well, that's an important phrase. It doesn't say in this or in which. It says in whom, because Christ is a person. So all assurance of faith and understanding of God's mystery is found in whom? In him, a person. Jesus is a person. He saves us. He has been made known to us. He sustains us. He saves us. He sanctifies us by the giving of the Spirit and through his prayers. Do you think of Jesus as a person? Do you think of Jesus as a person or is he to you right now an idea or a concept or the front of a religious movement? This passage makes very clear for us that the gospel is a person and in the person is found all wisdom and knowledge. Have you ever seen a, a famous person live, like in person? It's kind of a, an odd thing, it's, especially when you're not expecting it. I remember I was in downtown Dallas about a decade ago and ran into my favorite boxer as a child, Sugar Ray Leonard. If you're in college, you have no idea who that is. <laughs> but I saw him and I, I was shocked because I've seen him on TV, but I really never thought about the person, Sugar Ray Leonard. So I did what all people do with boxers. They get a picture with the boxer, right? You, know, you kind of lean over and you give the fist, and he's giving the fist, and it's like he would totally win that fight, but I met Sugar Ray Leonard. Guys, in a much more real way, Jesus is a person who actually created who had to use his torso to raise from the dead, who had to bend down with a knee to wash his disciples' feet. Do you think of Christ as a person? Because notice this little word that follows in whom. It's hidden in him. This mystery here has some truths in it that are to be discovered. Now, Jesus is the mystery, but inside of Jesus is where all wisdom and knowledge are found. And that simply means this. There is always new things to discover about Christ. There is always new things for us to know and learn about Jesus. We, we don't, no one in this room, in fact, if we were to get all of us together and work on one document no matter how long it is, for us to write down all the things about Christ that we know for all of our lifetimes compiled together would not get to the end of who Jesus is. For in him, this person, is all wisdom and knowledge. And these are treasures. So if we want wisdom and knowledge, we go to Christ to find them. And we don't go elsewhere. If I want a Whataburger, I don't go to In-N-Out. I go to Whataburger, right? If you want wisdom and truth, don't go to the world. You go to Christ because he owns it 
And not only does he own it, he also dispenses it to us because he dwells within us. It's quite remarkable if you consider the unfolding logic of what Paul is saying. He's like, you look no further, Colossians, Irvingites, look no further because wisdom and truth is in a person and that person dwells within you. The world asked really big questions like, why is there something instead of nothing, right? These are philosophical questions that the world ponders, Confucius says, right? Does God exist? Is there life after death? What is the best moral system for a country or a society to operate by? If you want the answers to these questions, they are found in one person, and his name is Jesus. They are objectively found, by the way, not subjectively found. They are only in Christ, in one person. So we are called to scour his heart, to study this Jesus. Consider with me just a few examples of what I'm talking about here as we consider what, tr- what knowledge and wisdom are in Christ. Consider his artistic mind for a moment. That he used the Jewish festivals and feast to not only set up his people for his coming, but then to logically say that he fulfills all of them in the book of John. That is some profound knowledge and wisdom. Consider his genius in the robust redemption plan and story and how it's woven together through his word. Starting from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the whole thing is about him and it's intrinsically woven together, pointing to him at every turn. That is genius. He used a lot of different authors for a long period of time to accomplish this work. Consider with me, if you're looking to find wisdom and maturity, what is maturity? Well, notice how Jesus responds to his enemies with gentleness. He even saves them, alienated and hostile in mind. He reconciles us to himself. If you're looking for what knowledge and faith are, consider his suffering. How for the joy set before him, he endured the cross on our behalf. Profound humility found in that as well. His gentleness. Notice the way that Jesus treats children. How he handles the outcast. Notice Jesus' perfect order. What what does order mean? Well, he is a God of order. Even his own mother who he created, he respected and loved and served. You want his thoughts on inclusiveness? Society is throwing around inclusiveness all over the place right now. You want wisdom and knowledge and inclusiveness look no more than Jesus for he laid out a redemptive plan for every tribe nation and tongue no one has to be turned away from the gospel we have the ultimate inclusive plan because of Christ you want tips on from knowledge and wisdom on mercy think about how he treats the poor and the outcast the marginalized How about grace? Well, he forgave the disciple who denied him three times, even to a servant girl. 
his righteousness. Notice how Jesus deals with temptation in Matthew chapter four. He lives on the word of God alone. We don't need knowledge and wisdom anywhere else. It's found in Christ. All the answers of the scriptures are found in this person who holds all of it for his church to benefit from and to enjoy. And speaking of design, he did design the church to function certain ways for his glory. He designed the household, husbands and fathers, raising children in the fear of the Lord. This is how we operate with all wisdom and knowledge. Folks, and they're all found in him. A car needs tires to get down the road to make progression, right? Consider wisdom and knowledge. The sets of tire, you know, knowledge is the set of tires on the left and wisdom is the set of tires on the right and you can't go anywhere. You can't drive anywhere unless we're asking the Lord to provide those. Now, knowledge is a knowledge of Christ. It is redemptive plan. Truth is about him. Wisdom is how we apply that truth to our lives and all of our decisions. And all of it is found in Jesus. I'm, I'm super thankful for all the faithful saints that we have here. We have faithful saints, really faithful saints who have been at this church a long time. And we have new faithful saints who are walking out these things as well. Thank you for holding to the truth of Christ. Holding to sound doctrine and then applying it to your life with humility, truth, and gentleness. Oh, we have... For those of us who are newer in the faith or younger in the faith, go walk with those people in the church. And if you have that, then pour into others. This is what we are to seek, to seek the truths of Jesus. That's an application for us. Do you seek these things? Are you looking elsewhere right now? Perhaps you're a visitor and you're curious about who Christ is or the the gospel, we want to have this conversation with you because we genuinely believe all of life's questions are answered in one person who holds it all. And we'd love to talk to you about him. Do you pray for knowledge and wisdom, church? Do you pray for knowledge and wisdom to know Christ? Is it a part of your daily personal prayer? Is it a part of your Sunday school prayer? Is it a part of your discipleship group meetings? Are you asking the one who holds the knowledge and wisdom to give you the ability to receive the knowledge and wisdom? If we don't have it, James chapter one says that we ask and he graciously provides. And then the third and final aspect of Christ-centered ministry today is when a church is standing firm in Christ-centered faith. So look what he says in verse four, I say this, Paul says, I say all of this, that no one may dilute you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, he is still rejoicing to see their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ. Look with me at the beginning of verse four again, very quickly, this is the shortest point, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service. It reveals why Paul is stating this. He is pleading with the Colossians and through the inspiration of the Spirit, he is pleading with the Irvingites today 
to hold fast to this Jesus so that no one would dilute us from plausible arguments. And we're going to get into what those philosophical vain deceits are in verses 8 through 15 of Colossians 2. And then we're going to get into how uh, the false teachers are attacking them with false religion in verses 16 through 23. So we're going to unpack that more. But this is why he's telling them. I want you knit together in love. And this is going to be an encouragement to you. And if you're not knit together in love, that you're not going to understand more and more and more of who Jesus is. So we are to know Jesus, to study Jesus, so that he would be the anchor of our souls. You know the point of an anchor. I don't have to remind you. But it's to stay. It's to stay put, not to be adrift, not to float outside the bay. But to be in the harbor with the one who, ho- who holds all the oceans in his hands. And I am, I'm thankful for a church since 1904, 1904, a church that has been on this street corner proclaiming the excellencies of Christ from generation to generation, holding to this Jesus Just because we've done that for a long time doesn't mean we are yet mature or as mature as we want to be. We are called to be knit together in love, to care for one another, and this will strengthen your heart. And Paul is saying this so that we then can have full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and in whom hold all the treasures of Wisdom and knowledge. And he's saying this so that we don't drift away, that we would hold firm. Now we can all respond to God's word today, no matter where you are in life. I want you to ask yourself some of the questions that the text brings out for us. What do you think about this Jesus? Without meaning to, have you grown tired of Jesus? Have you grown bored of him? Is he he worthy to be interacted with in your own mind? And so what happens in that mindset is we go looking for knowledge and wisdom outside. But it's found in him. Perhaps there is need for repentance today just to be reminded of the grace of Christ Run to the cross today, I would tell you. These steps will be open. These are always here, not to be seen, but to kneel before the one who knows you and wants to give you all wisdom and knowledge. Come forward. Non-Christian or a person who's interested or doesn't know if they're a Christian. And you're going, well, I've seen knowledge and wisdom spouted on this news station or on this social media account or I learned about certain philosophers or thoughts or opinions in my studies at school or whatever your circumstance is. We want you to know that all of that is just, it's nothing. I don't say that. I promise you I don't say that in arrogance. I say that in truth and in warning. All wisdom is found in this one. And we'd love to talk to you about that. If you don't have a church, but you want to be knit together in love with someone, 
We'd love to talk with you. We're gonna have some pastors down here. We'd love to talk with you about that in well. So prepare your heart to respond as we close the sermon in prayer. Father, thank you that you care for us uniquely. You care for us in Christ. Father, no matter where we are in the faith right now, Father, help us to run to Jesus. Help us to know him and to learn him and to have a posture of a student before him. And we trust because he is the great God of all things that he will generously provide wisdom and knowledge to us that we may walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus our King. God, I pray that you would knit us together in love as a church, Father, more and more. Tie the strings tighter more and more. Father, we're grateful for how we are united and we pray for unity evermore, Father. We're not done baking. So don't pull us out of the oven too early, Lord. Help us with these things today, we pray. In the name of Christ, our King. Amen.